As we continue to um, our current sermon series, The Mercy Journey, we're going to turn to a passage that perhaps are very familiar to many of us. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, we're going to read um, about the life of Joseph. Last week, we talked about how the mercy journey begins with our own experience of God's mercy, the Father's tender love in our lives. And it always flowed from there and onward. And today we're going to talk about mercy in our homes, in our family. And so the passage that we have today is from Genesis chapter 45. If you have your Bible with you, please turn there, chapter 45, the first book of the Bible, toward the end of that book. Genesis chapter 45, we will read from verse 1 to 16. Here's what the Word of God says. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and your eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Verse 15, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us this morning? God, would you speak through my vocal cord? Would you think in our minds? Capture in our hearts the very truth that you want us to hear from. The very truth that we need to hold on to. God, give us the strength to be obedient to your word. May the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts today be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, preserve our hearts to receive the gift of your word today. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the most popular songs in 2001 is the song, I Can Only Imagine. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Uh, If you haven't, you should listen to the radio sometimes. It's one one of the first Christian songs that actually make it to mainstream. There's over one million downloads. It won the first uh, Christian song that turned platinum. And so it was a very, very well-known, famous song. And the song was written by uh, the lead singer, Bart Miller. He was uh, writing this song soon after his father has passed away. And he wrote this song, I Can Only Imagine, thinking of imagining what his father was experiencing up in heaven. And a sweet, beautiful song. But many people actually did not know the relationship between him and his father prior to two years ago when the movie came out, I Can Only Imagine. What really happened was that before that sweet moment, sweet uh, time as father and son, for a long period of time, his father, before he knew Christ, was actually very abusive. 
He used to be a football player. He had an accident, and after that, he got really bitter and angry. And he was abusing his son so much that there are times that Bart actually could not walk, could not lie down on his bed. And in the movie, there was a scene that Arthur uh, realized that he had contracted cancer, pancreatic cancer. If you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it tends to be very aggressive. And Arthur, through that moment, uh, at that time, uh, Bart was actually a high school uh, freshman in high school. Arthur, his father, uh, came to know the Lord because of what he was going through in, uh, in, uh, through cancer. He started giving away his, uh, uh, his anger and started going to church, starting to pray, and Bart saw that at home. But at the same time, Arthur was trying to re- uh, reconcile with his son. And one of the things he wanted to do is ask his son Bart to come and, and work on this Jeep that he had, an old Jeep, as a way of uh, hopefully smoothing the past, do whatever he can on earth to reconcile with his son. But Bart didn't want anything to do with him. But, and, and as a result, he stormed out of the, uh, the barn-turned garage. He stormed out and said, I, I don't want any part of this. I want you to know that there's nothing that you can do to restore this relationship between us. And as he stormed out of the, the garage and his father obviously was frustrated and all he heard outside of that barn was, was his father just using a baseball bat, just banging on the Jeep and start, cra- start, start destroying the Jeep. The very symbol of hope that he got to have the, the remaining time, whatever he had in his, on his, uh, his time here on earth. And all the while, Bart was hearing that and finally he came in to the door and came into the barn, to the garage he saw his dad exhausted next to the car with a baseball bat around him. And Bart went to pick up that baseball bat. And he clenches so hard you can see the white of his knuckles. And then Arthur said, go do it, do it, do it. And you know every, with the, every fiber of his being, Bart wanted to pick up that, that baseball bat and just hit his father. But yet at that moment, he released it and let go of the bat. Instead of putting a bat on, it, on, on his father, he extended a hand to pick up his father. And Bart later on might remember that moment forever turned the corner for him between his relationship with his father. And in fact, for subsequent years, for the next three or four years, while his father is being uh, bedridden with, with, with cancer and suffering cancer, they became the best of friends that the monster that is in his own world, the monster that one, once I want to run away from became the very best friend that I have, the very man that I want to become when I grow up. See, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is difficult, particularly when it happens in close relationship with those around us. And put it specifically, for family relationship. See, family is a really awkward thing because we are bound together in relationship with people that aside from physiological, biological uh, connection, there's really nothing in common. We're, we're with these people because either I was born by, the, by this. There's something that we don't get to choose. They may have the most different uh, personality, different uh, preferences, but yet we're together because there are, there's a physical and biological relationship. So it's awkward in that way, but yet we see in the Bible it's very biblical. Because God, from the very beginning of creation, ordained Adam and Eve to be together as husband and wives. And so we see family as the smallest unit of community that God, God sees in our lives. There are passages in both Old Testament and New Testament that teaches us how we ought to live out these relationships. How important these relationships are for us. So it's awkward, it's biblical. We live with these people most of our lives. We know the goods and the bads. There's nothing that we can hide before them, uh, hide from them. And in this COVID-19 season, you know how it is, right? So you're at home all the time with these family members. The good part is you get to spend quality time, but the bad part is because you see each other all the time, there are more opportunities for conflicts, more opportunities for confrontation. But underneath all of these, the most real thing about all of us as a family is the fact that all of us are sinners. 
all of us are sinners. Every member of our families are sinners. But the difference is between whether they are, are convicted sinners, meaning that they are redeemed, they recognize they're a sinner, or they're non-believers that they don't realize they've sinned against God. Either way, we are all sinners at the foot of the cross. And when there are sinners around living together, you know what happened? Sin doesn't just add up together. Sin multiply. A small whisper of complaint turns into a full-blown argument and yelling match. A small misunderstanding gets festered into full-on fights. What started as verbal, unfortunately, sometimes becomes physical. And sometimes even in death. See, family is a weird thing, is an awkward thing, and as long as we live on earth, we know that sins exist. We know that no family is perfect. In fact, you don't have to turn far from the Bible. In the chapter three of the, or the chapter three of Genesis, just a couple chapters into the Bible, we see that there are dysfunctional family from the very get-go. Adam and Eve, the first problem that they have, they argue. They blame each other. When sin entered into the world, it caused conflicts within the family. And thanks to God that, thanks be to God, that he actually keep these messy, dysfunctional families in the Bible. He never tried to hide it. If you ever wonder if the Bible is true, is real, just take a look at the families in the Bible. God never tried to hide the dirty laundry that they have in their life, pretending these are perfect families. But every family had their, had their skeletons in the closet, and yet God put it on full view for you and me to read it. And today we saw one of the many dysfunctional families. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. If you ever read through the book of Genesis, a good portion of the book of Genesis was on creation, and then a quarter of the book was, about 13 chapters, was on the life of Abraham. And rightfully so, because Abraham was this father that God has promised to, to give this blessing to his family, his descendants, and to the rest of the world. And he, we even have the song, Father Abraham has many sons, right? And so he's an important figure. And we also see in the Old Testament, oftentimes God was referred to be the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. But yet we hear very little to the reference to God of Joseph. Yet in Genesis, there are equal amount of chapters. 13 chapters for Abraham and 13 chapters for Joseph. Joseph was a son of Jacob, and he wasn't even the firstborn. He was the 11th born out of the 12. And yet somehow God, in his sovereignty, allowed the story of Joseph to reside in, in the book of Genesis for, to, for us to remember the act of kindness and mercy that he has done toward his family. In the midst of the mess of his family, he displayed mercy. And we will find out later how critical this is in the whole scheme of the redemptive history. Because if, if Joseph did not show mercy to his family, what we will see later on is that Jesus would not have been born. And therefore, I believe this is a, a crucial part uh, for us to look at and as we think of mercy, as we think of family, that the life of Joseph teaches us a lot about how to extend mercy in our home. Chapter 45, Genesis chapter 45, was the, almost toward the end of the story of Joseph. It was the scene, as we read, as you pay attention, it was the scene where he reconciled with his brothers. But in order to get the full impact, understanding of what is, we need to go back 20 years, to go back to chapter 37 in the, in the book of Genesis to, to realize what really was going on. I assume many of you are familiar with it, but if you, know, if you don't, I'm going to run through quickly the history of uh, the life of Joseph to give us some background of why this is so emotional in, in chapter 45 and what a big deal it is in chapter 45. You have to understand Joseph was his father's favorite. Of all people, Jacob should have known that you should never play favorite because he was not his father's favorite, which goes to show why we need to learn from our own sins so we won't pass on to the next generation. But Jacob, uh, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. He was the favorite child, even though he was the young, one of the youngest. And when Jacob talked, to, talked about uh, Joseph, his, light, his eyes lit up, and he always had good things to say. Jacob, uh, Joseph was always the one of the extra food, the extra chicken in the dinner. He always got the new stuff. And to make matters worse, one day Jacob gave Joseph this colorful coat. 
a nice jacket. In those days, you don't just get a nice jacket around. And that jacket represents, that coat represents status. It represents people who don't have to work. And so obviously, in the family, everybody knows that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And while the brothers had to go out to work and put their hands on the field, while they're getting clothes from TJ Maxx on a clearance rack, Joseph was getting it from Bloomingdale, brand new. He walks around with that jacket, letting everybody know he was the favorite child. And then Joseph not only have a favorite, uh, a beautiful coat, beautiful jacket, along the way we see in the story of Joseph that he has started having dreams. He had these dreams that somehow he was out in the field and the family was gathering sheaves of, of, of weed and, and, and somehow his in the dream was a lot bigger. And he saw all the other sheaves would start bowing down to that sheaf. So he decided it was a good idea the next day in, a, in his dinner to talk to his family about that. Oh, guess what, mom and dad and brothers? I have these amazing dreams. Somehow you guys were all bowing down before me, including you mom and dad. It sounded like that one day you guys will, work, will, will have to bow down before me. One day that you, you will have to be submit under me. And imagine the reaction that you heard from your younger brother saying that to you. And imagine you're the father and the mother hearing that from your own son. But then one day, as things are going on like normal, the brother sent out to work. His father told him this. His father told him to go hop onto the new scooter that he bought for, her, for him. And go check out his brothers to make sure that they're okay. And so Joseph hop onto a little scooter and go out. And then to find his brother. And when he find his brother, here's what he, what he saw. That they're working. And then he started having a conversation. Hey, you remember? Hey, brothers, while you are working and sweating, being sweaty and stinky, remember that dream that I have? I have another dream. I have another dream that, that I was in the middle of the universe and there are sun, moons, and, and there were 11 stars. And again, just like the first dream, all the sun and the moon and stars are just bound to me. And I, I'm, not no, I'm no dream interpreter, but sounded like it's like you guys, again, there are 11 stars, 11 brothers. And finally, the brothers had enough of this punk. Finally, the brothers, enough of this younger brother bragging in front of them. And so Judah, one of the brothers, and remember this name, Judah decided that it was a good idea to just throw him into the, the pit and then decide, let's plan how we can kill this bratty brother of ours. But fortunately, long story short, instead of killing him, they decided to sell him as a slave. Sell him as a slave to Egypt. And so when they, after they did that, they, they need to come up with a reason to go back to the father, tell them somehow they have lost, they have lost their brother. So they took the, the colorful coat, dipped it in goat's blood, and brought it back to the father and tell the father, Father, guess what happened? You sent your son out, your favorite son. You know what happened to him? We just saw his jacket. He must have been killed by an animal. And so ever since that point, the lives of the brothers and the, and the father family has been separated while Joseph continued to be sold as slaves and started living in Egypt. The father, unbeknownst to him, really thought that his son was dead. And for the brothers, probably consider him dead. And here's the harsh reality. Probably they, have, they can care less what happened to Joseph. And fast forward 20 years later in Genesis chapter 45, here is what happened. Here's a scene when Joseph showed up in front. Uh, Joseph was second in command in Egypt, and now his brother had to come because there was a famine. And there's no food anywhere. And, and we'll find out later also that Joseph had this dream and, Pharaoh, and told Pharaoh that we need to prepare, be prepared. And so when they prepared food, so all the areas need to come to Egypt to get food. And that includes Jacob and his sons. So Jacob sent his son, the 11 brothers, to go up. And here's the scene where he picked up in verse, uh, chapter one, uh, 45, verse 1, when they met him and they did not recognize Joseph because Joseph was probably in his second-in-command uh, suit with this cobra on his head and, and this, this, this suit that he was wearing. That he, they did not recognize Joseph. They haven't seen him for 20 years. And look at what Joseph's response. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried and make everyone go out from me. You can see how Joseph was so overcome with emotions. I don't know what emotions went through his head, but I can imagine there probably would be anger. There will be bitterness. 
on one hand, he's happy to see them once again. After all, they are my family. But on the other hand, these 11 were the ones who sold me 20 years ago. And they could care less that if I die. In fact, that's what their intent was. They just want to make a few bucks. So they decided not to kill me. So there were emotions that overcome. And, and, and if you were Joseph, and if you asked anyone in this world, it would have been perfectly just for Joseph to, pull, uh, to take revenge against his brothers. It wouldn't have been, it would have been right. It would have been justified for Joseph to take their lives. I wonder sometimes as Christians, do we feel the same? The Barnard Research did a study on mercy and compassion. One of the stats strikes me, alarms me. It says this, 13% of practicing Christians... Only 13%, less than one out of five, express deep compassion to those who have wronged them personally. Only slightly more than the percentage of those people who feel the level of compassion towards criminals. Let me put it in plain language for you. People feel almost just as compassionate to the regular old criminal in the world than to those who have wronged them personally. The hurt, the, the conflict that they experience might not be of equal to cr- the criminals, but we just feel just a little bit better to those who are wrongness. But to those who are criminal, we feel almost the same compassion to them. Yet we see in this passage, Joseph chose to forgive his brothers. Joseph chose a different road, a mercy journey that took him to forgive his brothers no matter what they had done to him. He demonstrated for us what kindness and mercy is like. So I want to remain in time. I want to take a look at 45, 1 to 16 and see there are four steps how we can go on to this journey to experience forgiveness, to express forgiveness to those who have hurt us in our family, particularly those who are so close to us. As you and I know, we tend to hurt those who are close to us the most or be hurt by them the most. And so there are four things that we see in this passage that will help us to walk into this mercy journey in our home to the path of forgiveness. Here's the first thing we see from this passage. It says, Joseph expressed his emotions. Joseph showed his emotion. Joseph did not just bottle up, pretend nothing had happened to him. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1 says this, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried. Then he told everyone to go out from me, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So it's only Joseph and his brothers, and here's what he did. He wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it, and the house of the Pharaoh heard it. You see, what Joseph did here, he did not bawled off his emotions. As Chinese and Chinese Americans, we're not raised in a culture where we are good at expressing our feelings. We often feel that whether it's a sign of weakness or feel ashamed to express our emotions. Yet the Bible is filled with emotions, sadness, joy, awe, fear, distress. Jesus himself shows emotions when he saw Lazarus was dead. And but what happened is that when we don't know how to show emotions, we eventually let emotions drive us, dictates how we act toward other people. You see, emotion, what we need to understand is this emotions are meant to be gauged not as a guide. Emotions are meant to be a gauge to to show us how we feel, which is never wrong. How we feel is never the wrong. And what we do with what we feel is how we can sin against God or sin against people or glorify God or glorify and love others. See, emotions are always supposed to be a gauge to show us how we really feel about certain situations and circumstances. But what happened is we let it become a guide if we don't healthily express our emotions. In the case of Joseph, he cried loudly, which sometimes I struggle, uh, let's be honest here, sometimes I struggle to know how to express my emotions. Because I was brought up, to, brought up as a child to, to not show any emotion. That is, that is not right to show emotion. And yet Joseph showed his emotion. For some of us, a healthy way of, of showing emotion is perhaps asking a friend, a close friend, or someone who is more mature in faith to share our emotions. It gives us permission, a safe play, uh, place to share the emotion too uh, with, with those whom we can trust. Because when we share our emotion, emotion no longer become the guide. It doesn't uh, no longer become the guide and directs us what to do. But what it does is it shows us what to do. 
maybe that person, that friend, that family member, that small group leader can become a, a voice of truth for you. We all know how that feels, right? When we're our, our burden with heavy emotion and anger and sadness, when we close ourselves in a room, what happened is the devil used that opportunity to speak lies to us. That what we feel oftentimes exaggerated situation. Maybe it was right to feel that way, but, but what it does is it guides and directs us to live in a way that does not honor God. This is one of the reasons why I believe God had called us to be a church to be there for one another, to be safe places for one another. But here's what's most important. In order for us to step onto the journey of forgiveness, we must have healthy ways of expressing our emotions. In some serious situation, they might require professional help, like talking to a counselor. When we're isolated, Peter told us, the apostle Peter says, we, need, we are subjected to the the, the, the attack of sin. He prowls around like a lion, wanting to devour us. But when we express our emotions healthily, then it no longer guides us and directs us what to do, but it merely shows us how we feel. So that's the first step. Joseph expresses emotions, but not only did he express emotions, he actually went on to reveal the wrong that the brother had done to him. He did not sweep it under the rug, pretend nothing had happened. He did not mince any words in making sure that his brother knew what they had done was wrong. Look at verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, revealing himself to him, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. You can just imagine their jaws just dropped. The guy we sold 20 years ago now is the second in command in Egypt. And Joseph went on to say this, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I want you to focus on those words, you sold. You sold. I think oftentimes when we think of forgiveness, we're thinking just, just erasing what had happened, pretend nothing had happened. But notice Joseph makes sure he said, no, you are the one who sold me. You were the one. What you did was not right. What you did was wrong. What you did was evil. You are the one who did that. He did not pretend that, oh, no, you didn't. It's just an action. No, he was clear with them, revealed the wrong to that. You did it wrong. In fact, that's what Jesus taught us to do when we are wronged by people. Matthew chapter 18, verse 13 says this, if a brother sins against you, He did not say, go hide and pretend nothing happened. He says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That is with the caveat that it is safe for you to do so. For example, an abusive relationship, it may not be safe for you to do so, but you also need to make known that wrong, maybe to the authority that's appropriate. You see, forgiveness never, never starts with avoidance. It always starts with reality. If we want to experience forgiveness in our family, in our homes, it never comes with, the first step is never to avoid it, so we be down on a rug, but it actually starts with reality. And many times we don't want to speak up uh, about the, the wrongs that are done against us because we don't want to stir up the, the hornet's nest. Because we don't want to, to take, out the, take out the skeleton in our closet and we know how messy it would be been if we just say something. We feel like if we say something, there's no return, that there's no forgiveness in sight. Why don't, so what we do is we just hide it under, under, under the rug and pretend nothing happened. But what we eventually realize is that given the right circumstances, it will still produce pain in our lives. I, this week I have this uh, profound experience of having an ingrown cuticle in my finger. And I kind of put it away pretending it didn't hurt and didn't bother me. And most of the time it doesn't. But that is until a couple of times I accidentally put my hand onto the table. And every nerve that I, can, that I know I have on my finger was sending signal of pain to me. That I thought I would just pretend nothing happened, pretend it would go away on its own. But every time I put my hand accidentally on the table and hit that part of the finger, it reminds me it's still there, alive and well. And the same is true when, when given enough of the right circumstances, if we don't reveal the wrong, we don't bring it up, we, we don't clean, we don't make known to the wrong that's done against us, just so you wait for the right circumstances, it will always come back to bring pain and hurt in our lives. 
That's what it means for us. The second step is for us to reveal the wrong. So not only do we need to express our emotion, we need to reveal the wrong. And if we stop right there, it doesn't necessarily lead us to forgiveness because the most important part of this journey to forgiveness actually is this next step. Because anybody can express their emotion. Anyone can be angry about what people have done to their lives. Anyone can make sure and tell off the other person what they've done wrong to them. But it is this third step that will be the most crucial in turning the corner for us to experience forgiveness or dispense forgiveness to others. And it has to do with this, that Joseph trusted in God's greater purpose. Joseph trusted in God's sovereignty, which is a fancy word of saying that God knows better and that God is in control. This is the game changer for us if we ever want to experience forgiveness in a relationship at home or with other people. That we ought to trust that God is at work even when we can't see him at work. Just like the song that we sang earlier, even when we cannot see God's working, we need to trust that God is working. Even when we don't feel that he's working, we need to believe that he's working. It was Alex, Alexander Pope, he's not a Pope, that's his last name, Alexander Pope, one of the most well-known English poets that we have. Back in the 18th century, says this. Perhaps you've heard of this quote, to err is human, to forgive divine. To err is human, meaning that it is a natural part of being human is to sin against people. But to forgive people now, that's an altogether different story. That it would, it would be a God-like work, a divine, supernatural work for us to forgive people. Because no human being naturally wants to forgive people. Because no one personally wants to be hurt in the first place. Only God forgives. And if we are to forgive, then there, God must be in our lives, must be working in our lives. In the case of Joseph, Joseph was allowing God to work in his life. And trusted in God's greater purpose. You see, Joseph saw the 10% of the iceberg. But he did not just see the 10% of the iceberg. He actually see the 90% as well. See, most ships crash and wrecked because they only see the 10%. They only saw the, literally the same tip of the iceberg. But not realizing that there's something, a whole lot more going on. 90% of stuff is underneath that iceberg. And that's what Joseph saw. Because I want to turn you to the text here in 45, verse 5 to 6, uh, 8 says this. And I want you to pay attention to the contrast of how Joseph said, You sold, but God sent. You sold is going to be the 10% that he saw, but God sent will be the 90% that most people don't see, but Joseph actually saw and trusted in. Here, what it says in verse, uh, verse 4, it says, Joseph said to his brother, come near to me. And then he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. But notice what it says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years. Fast forward to verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And I want you to pay attention to verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, but God. In Joseph's mind, he knows. Yes, it is so true, as true as it is certain that it is that you sent, you sold me. But it was God who sent me. You sold, what you do was as certain as as real as I felt, but just as you have sold me, I also know truly and really with, without, with, with complete certainty that God was the one who brought me here. He's the one who sent me here, even through the pain that I've gone through. See, Joseph saw not just the 10%, he saw the 90% too. And both things are real, but it was a matter of perspective, a matter of trust in God. And the question we got to ask ourselves is this, how did Joseph see the 90%? Because most of us are stuck in the 10%. Because we will see that Joseph, uh, the brothers sold me. But all, just as real as that, we also, Joseph also saw that God was the one. How did he learn this lesson? Remember I told you that there are 20 years gap between they were sold to the day that we saw here in 
45, chapter 45 in Genesis. I believe the way he learned this lesson of seeing the 90% is because of his experience in life throughout those 20 years. If you think that career drama TV show had twists and turns, wait till you see Joseph's lives. Joseph's life was marked by ups and downs and ups and downs, riches to rags, rags to riches. His life was flowing up and down. And, and when, during, throughout this 20 years period, what we saw was that right after he was sold, he was immediately on a down place and it was in the valley. He was sold to be a slave. And yet God, it says, here's what it says in chapter 39, verse 21. Remember this phrase, God, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Look at the chart that I have on, on the screen here. That his life was marked by ups and downs. And, and when his, and his, one of the lowest spots when he was sold, it said the Lord was with Joseph and showed his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the, uh, an Egyptian master. While he was at the lowest point, God was with him because God allowed him to be sold to Potiphar, who happened to be the Egyptian master. He has a high place. And God saw that he was with Joseph. And so Potiphar, God ordained and behind the scene, allowed him to be bought by Potiphar. So he was rising up. God God was giving him uh, favor with Potiphar. He was rising up. And now just when he goes up, he went back down again because enter Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife decided that Joseph was a good-looking man, a hunky man that, that he wants to, she wants to sleep with. And so one day Potiphar, while he was out doing his military business, Joseph was at home being a faithful servant, a second in command to Potiphar. And this wife of Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, shows up in a low, te- te- in a low top with her high heels, skinny jeans, walking the room and decided to tell, proceeded to tell Joseph, have sex with me. She didn't cut, she cut to the chase, she didn't do any other thing. Well, probably one of the worst come online that we've ever heard, the most blunt, literally in the Hebrew says, sex now. And Joseph knew that was not the thing of God. Joseph knew better that he could not be disloyal to Potiphar. And as a result of that, Mrs. Potiphar, there's no, hell, hell has no fury like a woman being scorned. And so she decided to take his jacket. There's something about Joseph's jacket There's always getting in trouble. He took his jacket and then lied to Potiphar. She took a jacket and lied to Potiphar and said, he was trying to rape me, but I got his jacket, got his coat. That's why he ran away. And Potiphar decided to trust in his wife and so believe in his wife. And so he got sent back to prison. He's not back to prison, sent back to prison, uh, sent to prison. And now notice verse 39. I didn't put it on here. But again, the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. If you were Joseph and I were Joseph, I'd probably say, God, stop being with me so much. Like, you can be a little bit less that fast because every time you're with me, I'm like right here. Every time you're steadfast to me, I'm like right here. But here's what I want you to get is that every time when he was at the bottom, God revealed to him that he was with him. That in his valley, God was with him. Every time when he put his trust in Jesus, even if it doesn't make sense, God was with him because fast forward, he was in jail. There's a butler, there's a baker that came. They had dreams. Joseph decided, uh, the interpreted dream for them telling the butler, you, you, you will be released out of here to the baker, you will die. And on the way, and surely, uh, surely after a while, the, but, uh, the, the butler was released. And on his way out, Joseph said, please don't forget about me. And what did he do? He forgot about Joseph. That is, after two years later, one day, the Pharaoh in, in Egypt had a weird dream. He had a dream of this seven fat cows in the Nile River, and then there are seven skinny cows, and then the dream continued on the seven skinny cows, ended up eating the seven fat cow. I'm not sure if he just had too much Chick-fil-A that day or something, but the skinny, and he had no idea. No one could solve that dream, and then all of a sudden, the butler, the 10%, but really, God was the one who reminded him, the 90%, realized that, oh, I have a guy that knows how to interpret dreams. Two years ago, he helped me in prison, but I kind of forgot about him. So Pharaoh brought Joseph in, and lo and behold, God was with Joseph again. And he interpreted the dream, 
telling Pharaoh that seven years of, of, of feast will come with seven years of famine, which brought up to Genesis chapter 45. Two years into the famine, now Joseph rose to be second command, in command in all of Egypt. You see, God was working with him, was, was, be, was with Joseph, and all along the way, every step, no matter how high or how low he was, Joseph trusted the Lord. So how do we trust God's bigger purpose when we don't see it? We trust him in smaller instances, in smaller parts of our lives. Here's the truth I want you to remember if we are to experience forgiveness. is that we need to make small deposits of faith in ordinary times so that when we go through extraordinary time, we can make big withdrawals. Let me say that again. We need to make small deposits of faith in ordinary time so that we can make big withdrawal in extraordinary time. You see, in the lives prior to Genesis chapter 45, Joseph was making small deposits of faith, trusting in God, and God showed himself to be faithful. He trusts God, God showed himself to be faithful. And over those 20 years, he has seen God working faithfully in his life, even when it did not make sense. He was making these small deposits, and just like a bank account, you can only take out what you put in. I would imagine in uh, 20 years before, he, even if he saw his brother, he would not be able to do what he did here in chapter 45. Yet over a lifetime of depositing faith and trusting in God, when the moment comes, when those 11 showed up, those 11 who wanted to kill him and sold him in slavery showed up, that extraordinary, negatively extraordinary, extraordinary time, Joseph could take withdrawal the amount of faith that he need to look past his brother's sins against him. If we are to experience forgiveness, if we want to see reconciliation in our, our family, we need to see beyond the 10%. And that can only work when we put our faith in God on an ordinary time, daily, in small things, I said from the beginning of my sermon how critical this scene is, this, this story is, is because imagine if Joseph chose not to have faith in God, not to trust God's greater purpose. He would have missed out the even greater purpose that the Bible reminds us. It's not just about saving the lives of Joseph, saving the life of his family. It is about the redemptive plan of God. Think with me for a second. If Joseph chose not to forgive his brothers right then and there, he decided I will exact revenge against my family and kill them all. Remember his brother Judah? Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was coming out of the line, the lineage of Judah. There, if he killed Judah there at the time, there would be no Jesus 2,000 years later. See, Joseph didn't even realize this greater purpose that God had ordained, the 90%. He might not even see the whole 90%, but he had faith to trust that God is doing something even when it does not make sense, even when he doesn't feel it, even when, when he cannot see it. And I believe that's what forgiveness calls for, that we need to trust in the greater purpose of God, which then leads to the fourth and final step is Joseph decided to forgive his brother, that he did not just think about forgiveness. He did not just have a good thought about forgiveness. He forgave his brothers in action. Genesis chapter 45, the end of this passage says this. Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I believe true mercy is always a heartfelt forgiveness that results into action. True mercy is always starts from the inside, a heartfelt forgiveness, but that it also results in actions. That is never enough to think that I've forgiven someone, but I need to show and make sure the other person understood that I've forgiven them. In the case of Joseph, he made sure he knew he kissed, he cried over them. He promised to bring them here, to invite him, them to bring their father here so that they can spend the rest of their lives in feast with the second in command, Joseph himself. He ensured them safety, security. The word mercy 
in a Latin word has a connotation of price paid. A price paid not by those who have offended us, but a price paid by those who have been offended. So that's what mercy is. That's what Joseph did here. He paid the price for his brothers, his father, his family, for wronging him as opposed to asking them to pay the price for their wrong. He paid the price for keeping them. There. He paid the price for them to live here. He paid the price for them to, to wash over all, this, all, the, all the conflict, all the sins that they've done against him. I want you to see how liberating forgiveness can be. Here's a picture of li- how, how, how forgiveness frees us in our relationship with one another. Genesis 45, 3, in the beginning of this story, Joseph revealed himself, told the brother, I am Joseph. And you notice what it says in verse 3, his brothers could not answer. His brother can't talk. His brother can't even speak because they, their jaws were dropped to the ground that I don't know what to feel like. Should I be scared? Should I be angry? What, what it is? Should I run out of door so that I don't get killed? They cannot speak, but it wasn't until chapter 45, verse 15, at the end of this passage, in that short little line, it says, after he kissed them and wept upon them, expresses forgiveness for them. After that, his brothers talked with him. And I bet they have a whole lot to talk about. It was only after Joseph shown his mercy by forgiving him his brothers, that the brothers have the capacity to even to speak because Joseph did not hold them to the price that they ought to pay because of their sins. Joseph paid the price of their sins for them by forgiving them. I want to ask you, I don't know what's going on in your life, in your family. I don't know what situation you're going through, what kind of pain you have been experiencing, what hurt you have inflicted upon you. But I know this, that God knows. Who do you think that God wants you to forgive today in your family? Which one of these steps that you need to take? Do you need to learn to express your emotions? Do you need to reveal the wrong to, to the person or perhaps the authorities that, that, that will help protect that, uh, mediate that? Or, or do you need to trust in God's greater purpose beyond your life? Or do you need to take the next step to show your forgiveness? I want to end with this picture. I think many of us have seen it in person or have seen it in pictures. A bell tower, oftentimes high on a, on, on a building. The purpose of tower, the, the way to make the bell ring is to, there's a rope underneath and what you do is you just keep pulling on it, pulling on it. As you pull it, the bell rings and as you stop, the bell continues to ring, but after a while, it will stop ringing, and there will be no more sound coming out of that bell. See, forgiveness is to let go of that rope. Forgiveness is choose to let go of that rope, and, and what happens is, I believe sometimes we are so used to holding on that rope and pulling on it that we don't know what it's like to not have that sound of the bell in our lives. Because sometimes it's easier to be angry, it's easier to be bitter, because that's so much a part of our lives that I can hold this person in contempt against me. But today we were reminded how freeing forgiveness can be, not just for the per- people who have offended you and hurt you, but more so for ourselves. And for some of us, it is hard to let go, and perhaps you have let go already, and you're wondering. How come I don't feel very forgiving? How come I still struggle with these emotions? What I want to remind you is this. That even when you let go of that rope, the bell continues to ring. But trust that there will be a time that the bell will start ringing. Don't be hurry and go back and grab the rope and start ringing it again. Trust God. God will see to that at the right time, the bell will stop ringing. I know this is a difficult lesson for me, this difficult lesson for us to live out. But I want to encourage us as we end that every time when you struggle with those who are closest to us that have been hurt, that does hurt us, you find that you have no strength 
to carry out forgiveness to that person. I want you to turn back, turn back to the cross. Because it's on that cross that Jesus had died and God our Father has shown the greatest of all mercy. That he let go of that world once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. And he has shown his mercy and forgiveness. I want to end in reading the first verse of the song, His Mercy is More. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, the one who knows it all, he counts not our sum of sin. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy that oftentimes is incomprehensible. That even though our sins may be many, you show even greater way of your mercy in our lives. So God, we confess to you that many times we are unwilling, unable to let go of that robe and show mercy and forgiveness to others. But Lord, remind us again how great of a mercy you have shown us so that now we can let that mercy to overflow to those whom I have perhaps, like Joseph's brother, sold us, hurt us, that they may even meant for evil. Yet Joseph later on in Genesis 50 says that though they may meant for evil, but God, you meant it for good. God, open our eyes to see. Give us faith to believe. God, help us to be merciful as you have been merciful to us. In the name of Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.